Welcome back to the Green Data Center Podcast. A lot has been happening in the world, and of course, the world of data centers is no different, as the industry has seen other mergers and acquisitions, other great awards that have come out, and a lot of push towards sustainability, which is great to see. If you want to learn more, feel free to reach out to us right now, still at greendatacenterman.com. We are switching over to greendatacenterguide.com soon. That's greendatacenterguide.com. Also, about this podcast, didn't we stop a few months ago? Yes, that's correct. This podcast did take a, a long break. We achieved our goal of going over a year and made 44 episodes in that time. However, there's a couple requests, you start meeting people, and they really like the podcast and want some updates, maybe not on that kind of schedule. So what we might do is around a monthly or every other month podcast to talk about the industry and the highlights between. Let's start out with an award ceremony that was held in London this year in October, and that was held by iMasons. Now, every year, the iMasons has been growing and getting bigger and has had more members joining, which is a good thing. And if you don't know it, just go to imasons.org, go visit the site, and you can connect with colleagues uh, across the globe that might be in your particular industry in the data centers or sub-industry, if you want to call it that, say like telecom. If you want to meet with colleagues and figure out what they're doing or some of the opportunities or some of the things that they're looking for and changes, it's a great place to go ahead and meet and join committees, subcommittees that can help you out as well as help others out. One of those awards that they give, though, is the Sustainability Award. And I look at the Sustainability Award given by iMasons as a good award to be recognized for and that should be commented on. This year's winner is Brian Janis. He is with Microsoft, been with Microsoft for over a decade now. If you don't know Brian, he's basically been running a lot of their energy programs at Microsoft and been doing a lot with their data center programs, especially as of late. And that's really been the push to to get the entire company, Microsoft, up and running and, and get that going. If you notice that they're at the forefront, not just the cutting edge or the bleeding edge, but they're even, it feels like they're beyond in the data center industry, really being leaders with a lot of their technologies and a lot of the things that they're trying and testing and also helping out with. And a lot of people have been following in the, in the industry to figure out what they're doing now, how did it work out, and what they're doing next as well. And Brian Janis has been key to the, all of that. Now, he's not alone, of course. The entire data center community at Microsoft probably deserves credit as well to figure out what can be done where and what's going to be good, better, or best. So Brian has a great team that he's been working with, but it's great to see that he got this award um, just for him, just for the amount that he's been pushing, as well as hopefully there's shared recognition across all the teams with the company. Now there's a lot of other awards that are given throughout the iMason ceremony, but that's the only one I'm going to touch on today. Uh, You can go ahead and see some of the other ones, such as um, the Education, uh, great winner with TJ Sconey, and um, some of the others, the the Inclusion, all of the others with the the Illuminaries and everyone else has been contributing for the data center community for years and years, and it's great to see them all recognized. Another set of awards to be given out in London, um, as in years past, is that from DC Dynamics, Data Center Dynamics. And every year they have a different set of categories that they award around. And oftentimes around the energy impact or what the data centers have done, they have different categories based on the data centers too, like the edge data centers. And one of the ones that I'm looking forward to is the environmental impact. 
as well as the Data Center Innovation Award. So those two are pretty good um, indicators of what's been done, and it's great to read about some of those things, even with just the finalists, and see what they've done so far. The finalists for the Environmental Impact Award are the Echo Data Center, which is a new sustainable data hall. It's in Sweden. Go ahead and look that up. And they worked with Total Data Center Solutions in order to do that, to have a really environmentally friendly uh, data center. It works out uh, on the sustainability aspect, but also on the reliability. And of course, if you're going to have a data center, you have to make the numbers work from the financial aspect as well. And Microsoft has two finalists, um, basically one for the Circular Data Centers Initiative, which is targeting all of the e-waste of all the servers and everything like that that goes along with it and trying to figure out how can it be repurposed or revisited or redone, resold, whatever that is, including how do they reuse all the equipment that they might have in their data centers. Their second one is Growing Carbon Negative Data Centers Project, and that was in a lot of work around some of their data centers with some consultants, primarily with WSP leading that, um, that initiative. And Telia is a Helsinki data center that has a heat recycling initiative that they're doing. It's not necessarily new. It's been done at several different data centers across Europe, especially. And we're starting to see that more and more, say in Wyoming and New York, other places throughout the United States. But this one is a nice, innovative one where you're looking to have that, what's called oftentimes that low-grade heat, that excess heat from the data center, of course, and how do you repurpose that? If you think about Helsinki, and uh, there is the, the Google data center that's uh, Hamana, I think it's in Hamana, um, Finland, that is also using uh, very innovative processes. So this is another one. Being in Helsinki, you know that it's going to be cold a lot of the year, a lot more hours of the year, and therefore there's a lot of chance to repurpose heat for others, as well as take advantage of the cooling aspects of that year-round average lower temperature. Now, the other award that I'm looking forward to is the Energy Impact Award, and that's different than the Environmental Impact Award. They split that out, and the energy, of course, is about reducing or becoming more efficient with your data center. The environmental is holistic, looking at how the data center life cycle and operation is done. So that's kind of the difference between those two awards that they have. Now, the Energy Impact Awards, uh, there's also two finalists for Microsoft. And that's the hydrogen fuel cells project, which um, we've reviewed before. Fuel cells are probably coming to a few different places in the future. So it's good to see how that is going. And they're looking to do this hydrogen, of course, doing the generation of the hydrogen with the excess capacity on some of the sustainability and renewables locations, and then moving that hydrogen to go ahead and operate fuel cells and doing that in a much more efficient manner. The other finalist project for Microsoft is what's called their Grid Interactive Data Center project. And it's pretty innovative in how it's looking to combine with Grid. How do they think ahead and sort of react proactively? A lot of people have been talking about this for years, but they've gone ahead and done it and done it in a way that's, um, uh, I don't want to say restrictive to the end users, those machines that are operating, but what they do is they put limits onto how much capacity they can handle at, at a certain time. In a nutshell, that's the, that's the project, but they're not looking to limit the overall project at all. So it's not like hampering, but what they are doing is showing and leading the way on how they can operate the data center in a better manner along with the grid itself. Another finalist that's sort of close to that is TechBuyer. 
uh, and they have a machine learning tool that goes ahead and learns about how everything is doing on the energy side getting very granular and they have their interact machine learning tool and they go through and figure out what's what can be done with that data center on the energy side how can they go ahead and afford to sort of gear up and down according to what the energy needs of the data center are another finalist is cyrus one for their dublin data center cooling project and it's great to see that they're getting recognized if you of course uh, learned anything about Dublin and it's one of those metros that uh, or even uh, Ireland as a country they are really restricting uh, the data center builds because they want the best of the best of the data centers to be operating there they don't want every data center to just sort of land there and have a certain PUE and so on they want the best of the PUE the best performance Cyrus one really delivered uh, Cyrus One in the past, of course, has been able to pivot, leveraging their teams and their design teams and telling them, okay, we want to build this one fast or we want to make this one super efficient so we can build in Dublin and make it viable there. They are, they've been able to go ahead and do that when they've needed to. So it's great that they're getting the recognition here. And of course, Data Center Dynamics is... Um, uh, Eurocentric. It's based in London. So you're going to see a lot of the awards to be probably around the people and the projects that are based in Europe. So great to have that. Great to see all of that. But uh, it's a little bit different. Even though iMasons recognizes a lot of the global winners and the people, the Data Center Dynamics is a completely different event, recognizes the projects and some of those, uh, some of those aspects that might have been overlooked in other places. So great to see both awards ceremonies going on. Let's talk about some of the investments that groups are making. There's a group called uh, Partners Partners Group, and they're acquiring EdgeCore. If you didn't see this in the news, it's a $1.2 billion acquisition of EdgeCore, and it's also going to be an expansion project. So part of that is going to go to launch into the expansion of EdgeCore data centers and their platform. And it really launches them into, like a lot of the other groups as investment groups, gets them into the space with a billion dollars in order to go ahead and uh, grab a company and then start to grow it from there. Now, EdgeCore has been doing a lot on the edge, of course, but they are probably looking to go outside of the major like United States metropolitan areas into other areas that might be a little bit underserved or even the major ones that feel like they're underserved. So we might see that growth happen pretty soon. Now, they're not alone on investing a billion dollars. Microsoft is also doing a billion dollar campus in North Carolina. And as part of like the cloud cluster, Apple's already there, Meta is there, Google is there. So if you think about that, uh, Google and Meta, of course, are being major data center players. Apple's had their data center there for a little bit. So um, not, been, not much has been happening with that one, of course. But what they do have is that infrastructure that's there. If you think about even the fiber that landed at Virginia Beach years ago um, and having all that infrastructure that's already there for them to land and have that billion dollars to go ahead and expand 
expand that, grow that out, really blow that out is going to be a good thing for Microsoft and probably for the entire North Carolina area. If you think about Microsoft's campus, they have another one right across the border of North Carolina, the north border of North Carolina, right in Virginia, and they've got a major campus or two there that they're also expanding. So a lot is happening on the East Coast for Microsoft there. Iron Mountain is another one that continues to expand and they bought land to expand their data center in Phoenix and that was actually through an acquisition um, several years ago um, to go ahead and expand in Phoenix and they also acquired a data center in Madrid, Spain. So um, that's the X data facility and they're looking to probably continue marching forward on into 2023. This is part of what Iron Mountain has had all along is they want to be one of the major top players. They want to be the next digital realty, so to speak, in talks with some of the, the individuals that, that are with Iron Mountain. And they're doing that by expanding their different campuses and providing the build the suit services and other things that some of those major hyperscalers are looking for. But they're also looking to do that with the acquisitions and then figuring out what's the best move and where to go. So the one in Phoenix, Arizona is not a surprise. And for them to launch more and more in Europe is probably not going to be surprising either. They're probably, it might be a little bit easier for them to go ahead and acquire an operating data center in Europe than it is to go ahead and try to buy the land and develop it themselves. So it's probably an easier move for them to make, especially being a, a United States based company to go ahead and do that. So we'll see what the future holds in the next year or so. But look out for them to keep moving on that and to keep uh, probably buying up a few data centers around the world. Now, since I did mention Phoenix, um, I can segue over to Stack and uh, Stack Infrastructure. They're just looking to do a huge campus in downtown Phoenix. If you know Phoenix, it can be kind of a bit of a sprawl, right? Um, but the thing is, for them to launch this in downtown is a is a good move for them probably but they have to probably work out a lot of the differences with the power company and make sure that they're getting a good deal on the power so they probably did something there in order to go ahead and launch and they're going to have a 230 megawatt campus with about 1.7 to 1.8 million square feet of data centers now whenever you're looking at data centers you might say well that's a lot of space What's the capacity? What's the density, etc.? Well, they might be looking at normal capacity, that kind of thing, and you can really dive into the weeds on what they're looking for. But overall, for them to go ahead and offer that much space, as well as the number of megawatts, a 230 megawatt campus in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, not you know that's not an easy feat to do. So they probably jumped through many hurdles to get this done. So they might be thinking of a major client that they're looking to help out with this. So Salt River Project, which is the utility there, um, might be a little bit of an issue to get along with, but perhaps they've already worked out and figured everything out in the meantime. We might see the growth of some of the other major players, seeing if they're going to go ahead and merge or acquire other data centers, as well as the investment groups that we've seen, of course. Um, American Tower and SBA Communications, they've got all of their telecom towers and everything, so they're probably looking for maybe other deployments that they can do on the edge, as well as companies and groups that might be able to help them out. So, um, you know, that's one of the groups that 
it would be interesting to see where they go next, whether they're going to be doing their own developments or whether they go ahead and acquire some of those groups or some of those uh, data centers that can help them out with all of the offerings that they have on the table. So there's others, of course, are, are doing other things. If you look to uh, BlackRock, um, Brookfield and others, they're going to be major players for some time to come. And if you look at how they're positioned, the companies each have their own sort of backlog of different things that they can help with. So if you think about sustainability, some of those companies are much better positioned for sustainability and can help out data centers from that angle and look to pair with them with their massive amount of megawatt need and demand and can help them out with renewables much better than others of those companies. So some of those are going to be having projects that they already know that they can land on the renewables and sustainability side. And others might be just acquisition companies or just merger companies or investment companies that are looking to partner up with different teams to try to figure out and be competitive in the same manner. So we'll see how this operates here in 2022 to 2023. And also look at the longer term, you probably have to look at the long road ahead out to 2030, 2035 and see where they're going to land as those deals start to uh, happen more frequently. Let's talk about water for a little bit. Um, there's been a big demand for the water use of data centers to drop, to go down. And if you think about how thirsty data centers have been in the past with cooling towers, etc., they can really use a lot of water. And in those dry environments where the air is dry and you can get a lot of performance out of that, it really works well. It really transfers heat, whether it's through the data center itself or rejecting it to the atmosphere. Whatever that is, water is a really good method to cool a data center. So there's different types and ways, of course, that you can use it. But the major data center companies, if you think about the Microsoft or the Meta, they're looking to slash their water use. And Meta is one of those that uh, months ago they said, you know what, we're going to go ahead and operate our server rooms at 90 degrees Fahrenheit in order to cut our water impact. And that's where it's trying to be more water positive. Others like AWS have said, we're going to be water positive by 2030. So Microsoft, of course, did the same thing saying we're, you know, we're reduced the amount of water that we're using by 95% throughout our data centers. That was earlier this year. And they continue to drive that in being water positive as well. So even though Meta is, uh, you know, they're raising the temperatures of the data center, that trickles down or trickles up or however you want to look at it it means that they don't need as much water to be used in order to cooler data centers, especially in the warmer and drier environments. And that means they're going to be saving millions of gallons of water at each one of these data centers. You might ask for those data centers that are already existing, how do we go ahead and operate these? How do we reduce our water and energy use? Well, there is that trade-off between water and energy oftentimes where you are using more water to save energy or vice versa. In the case that uh, uh, Facebook is looking at, by raising the temperatures, I don't want to say it's risky to do that, but a lot of operators, especially on enterprise data centers have been around for, say, 20 years or so, they are reluctant, of course, to go ahead and raise those temperatures unless they know all of their equipment, legacy, everything about the data center can go ahead and do that. So you have to investigate that, that particular data center to figure out whether it's viable or not. 
because raising that temperature means that you're not only saving on the energy side, but if you have a water cooling system where you're evaporating water, whether it's a direct or indirect evaporative system through uh, air handlers or you have cooling towers, however that is done, you are also looking at water savings if you can do that by raising the temperature. So it's a win-win on the energy and water if you can raise the temperature. Now, you might have some restrictions. So while Meta might be doing a 90 degrees Fahrenheit, which is, by the way, about 32.2 degrees Celsius, uh, that might not be viable for you. You might be stuck at 75 degrees Fahrenheit, which is, um, what, about 23.9 degrees uh, Celsius. So you might have some limiters on there, and you might have to say, we can't go that high because certain equipment or certain operators or certain customers, they want this at a certain restriction and they might have it in a contract. Yes, you might be limited that way, but that means that you can look at maybe using some other aspects in order to keep that temperature still satisfied, but still reduce your water use overall. So others are pushing towards that immersion cooling. And again, Meta is looking to shift towards that liquid cooling, that immersion or liquid. Um, And there is a difference there, by the way. So go ahead and take a look at that. But like Intel is pushing for that immersion cooling while Meta is saying, well, we're going to shift to liquid cooling um, in order to support like a lot of their equipment that can go in and out. And that's one of the things that they have and is very visible through their open compute. And every time that you're part of that liquid cooling group or that uh, water cooling, um, you get updates on what that open compute project is doing with their subgroups. And you can see how they're managing that and how they're really pivoting to go with that liquid cooling. And that can be either at the rack, at the row, or down to the chip. All of that liquid cooling is going to be better for their overall performance. Yes, they will still need to do some air cooling. And yes, they'll still need to do heat rejection. But that is going to help them with what they're looking at uh, in totality whenever they're trying to figure out how can we be more energy efficient. And when they're rejecting heat from that data center, they can say, well, here's some of the ways that we can do this. And maybe they are still going to be able to use the evaporative cooling, but how can they do that way more efficiently in order to cut their water use by huge, huge margins, which we've seen others do. Now, also on the water front, um, the big wave that, that hit was Microsoft first said, hey, we're going to go ahead and report that we want to have our water and be water positive. And they said this back in 2020. So Google, they had their cloud goal to run all their data centers carbon free meaning that they'll use clean energy to manage their water. So it doesn't mean they're going to be waterless, but they're going to get a lot of help in managing how they're doing that. And they've done that around the WUE, and that's the water usage effectiveness. And this is, of course, coined by the Green Grid. They originally came out with the power usage effectiveness, the PUE. And, of course, they followed on with all sorts of metrics, the you know the WUE being this probably the next most recognized uh, metric that you can go ahead and measure by. Now, Amazon, AWS, has gone ahead and said, for our data centers, we're going to start to report this openly WUE every year. And of course, as mentioned, they had committed to a 2030 promise to be water positive on their operations. So that's happening this year, two years after Microsoft had said that they want to be water positive. So everybody's eventually coming on board with this. 
um, and trying to take those steps to go ahead and do that. So we're probably going to see more on the reports. We'll wait to see what that first WUE is from AWS. And we can go ahead and see what their usage is going to be and maybe see about what they're targeting and how to get there um, for others because they might be leading the way with a lot of their data centers and their, in their fleet and being the largest cloud provider they might have other challenges that a lot of others don't. So we'll look to see where that lands them and uh, see what we can learn from that water usage effectiveness. And they're probably going to be pretty upfront about what they're doing now, as well as some of the challenges and some of the things they're going to be doing in the future. So looking forward to that, definitely. And it should be an interesting comparison with what Meta Facebook has been doing because they've been publishing a lot of what they have on the PUE and WUE. And the WUE they've been publishing since 2014. So they've been doing that pretty openly with what they're doing. And it works pretty well for their statements on how they're running their data centers, plus how they have achieved their lead uh, gold status and above. Um, for their data centers, the, every data center that they've had. It'll be interesting to see what their next ones are because they are doing this liquid cooling and to see what their energy status is versus their WUE and how they're achieving you know, greater WUE and getting to water positive just like you know, everyone else. But also to see you know, those new data centers that are going to be coming online that they're really launching into and they've had a data center build spree to see how those land in about two years time once they're finally complete and operating. Now those enterprise users, owners, operators, they might be looking at that and saying, well, that's a cloud service provider. They can go ahead and experiment and do those things. It's what they do. But the thing is like the open compute project is out there so that you can share and learn from it. Also, there's other enterprises that have already implemented different aspects to this. So if your enterprise is sitting there maintaining like a bunch of mainframes, there are aspects to go ahead and figure that out too. So it's not impossible, those limits that you might have that might seem like, well, we can't push the boundaries here or there anymore. There are innovations that need to be done or could be done to make you more competitive. That enterprise can be more competitive so that you don't need to have like a hybrid situation with the cloud and have a big enterprise and figure out what goes where. You can figure out to maintain a lot more inside your data center without building or expanding or investing just with what you have by doing some of those innovations. Yes, it does require consistently looking at what can be done, but your IT professionals are probably going to be better off. They're probably going to like it better if they can go ahead and control what's in their data center and operate and maintain it if they can and have their own hands on, especially some of those users uh, that are looking to say, we need to have this in-house because it makes us more competitive. It gets us that information. And with data and information being valuable, they want to keep more and more of that in-house and be able to use that in-house. So if you can provide that with a more efficient data center and all and up, up and down the stack and everything that you can provide for that data center facility to support that IT, you're going to make your whole business that much better and that much more efficient and competitive. One of the other things I wanted to touch on this time is looking at the overall power grids. Around the world, we've seen a lot of governments start to invest more in their power grids and in order to stabilize them to make sure 
that things don't happen to them. We've seen a lot of the bombings um, in Ukraine with the attacks from Russia, of course, uh, taking out or targeting the power grids. And that's one of the major aspects that a lot of countries have noticed, of course, and they are looking to invest more in their power grids to make them more stable. And in the United States, there was 11, no, $13 billion uh, dedicated to do just that. And that's to help out with a lot of the, the power grids to make them more reliable as well as resilient. In other words, reliable that you can count on them, but resilient. In other words, they can bounce back from a natural disaster. And this is happening across the entire United States. So nothing is necessarily earmarked for a certain location or others. But data centers, of course, are going to take advantage of this because there is a limited amount of energy or power in some of these different markets. We might have noticed or you saw that Dominion Energy, for instance, in Northern Virginia um, released that they cannot support all of the data center expansion requests that they've had in. Um, for the coming years. So it's going to be about two years before they're able to go ahead and cope with that. And it's not necessarily about power generation, it's about the power transmission. Now, this power transmission is where this bill is looking at. So $13 billion to say, well, any of these major buildings that are going to keep enterprises or co-locations or other buildings up, including major data centers, that is where this $13 billion is targeting to figure out how can we make sure that we have a more robust power supply in order to support this, not with just the capacity, of course, but with the transmission and make sure that we get the transmission where it needs to be on time for now and into the future. Now, there are a lot of power outages throughout a given year, but uh, over the last couple of years, there's been over 100 in uh, Texas and California, and that's where we have some major data center hubs, right? Dallas, Fort Worth, major data center hub. And if we have that number of outages, we have to start to look at how do we harden the grid in those states. As a matter of fact, Texas and California have had had more outages over the past couple of years than Florida, for instance. And you think of Florida as just being battered by hurricanes all the time. Well, Florida Power and Light, they've built up, they've hardened their their overall power grid because they know that. They've known this for decades, right? So they have gone ahead and attempted to do this, but it's also to make it even more robust so that you don't have to worry about it. There's a lot in the data center industry that will say that, well, we're pretty immune to power outages. We have generators that are operating on the site and we're not worried about it. Besides, it's $13 billion. We're not gonna see any of that. That's not gonna help us out. Well, actually, if we have those power supplies that are going to be robust enough, we can look at instead of having those traditional tier two generators, uh, you know, just spewing emissions into the air whenever they're operating, we can reduce that and see if there's options there to switch to maybe having fuel cells as a base load or having uh, some of those other options where you might be able to say, get away from those generators that you think of as typically being up and operating whenever you have a sag or a drop in the power supply. And if you can do that, if you can start to count on those different measures that can go ahead and help you out, you could start to save a lot of money, especially if you can say, well, this, you know, it's, it's not just because it's resilient, it's because we, it's reliable. That grid is reliable and robust enough. We know that we're going to be able to supply power if we have a natural disaster or something else comes online. We have all these different means to supply our data center and to supply everything, especially if you say have a substation that's on site and you have all sorts of say storage or whatever that capacity might be to help out your data center, you could start to reduce your actual generators or the generator operating time, all of which help your bottom line as well as help out the environment. 
Now you can start to do this with a smarter electric grid or a microgrid based around your data center or data center campus. And you can start to look at this and say, how can it perform with say an interactive UPS that reads the grid? And how can we use that to our advantage? Well, this is one of the ways if we have a robust grid, we can do this better and better and get really reliable power on this in order to just have that interaction and be able to anticipate and do things a lot better in a symbiotic way. And by symbiotic, I mean the data center just isn't a consumer of power anymore. It's a partner. It's a partner with that power company to figure out what can be done and when and how can they help out with, say, a ride-through during certain conditions. So in those aspects, we can certainly look to see the data center be a trusted partner. And with a more resilient grid and a reliable grid, we can definitely look forward to having a lot of reductions across the data center as far as the overall use and as far as reliability also going up. All right, that's everything for this special edition of the Green Data Center podcast for December 2022. We'll see when the next one comes out. Reach out to us at any time to ask any questions at greendatacenterman.com. For now, greendatacenterguide.com is coming soon. We're, of course, looking to see more innovations across the industry, including redefining software-defined storage or networking, all software-defined, including the software-defined data center. What is that and where is it going? There's a lot to be read on how the convention on climate change cop 27 might affect the data center industry so there's a lot to catch up on there as well as seeing what the companies might be doing to figure out what their energy and water is going to be doing in the future as well as before it looks to be eurocentric and a bit dated but we'll see where that future might hold as the companies might take that leadership role 